Welcome to Common Ground, a talk show encouraging debate and a deeper understanding of hot-button topics in Berlin and beyond. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. The pandemic has dramatically changed our lives for nearly 18 months now. But these days, there are tools at our disposal that are allowing things to somewhat return to normal. Even so, there remain some significant obstacles, as Common Ground senior producer Dina El-Sayed reports. Vaccines aren't proving to be the cure-all many Germans and Americans were hoping for, although medical experts say that was to be expected. Neither of their countries has reached herd immunity, and the highly contagious Delta variant has shown children are not as safe from this disease as first thought. In Germany, that has led the government to resort to pressure tactics to persuade people to roll up their sleeves for the shots. Some employers are also demanding workers to be immunized, including Lufthansa, who wants flight crews to get COVID vaccines. Stefan Schwerthelm of the Independent Flight Attendant Union told public broadcaster Deutschlandfunk that flight crews readily agreed to tests, but that any vaccine requirements need to be negotiated, because legally, employers cannot simply order their employees to get jabbed. Another controversial tactic the German government plans is to make people pay for COVID-19 tests. Chancellor Angela Merkel says that since Germany has enough vaccines to offer everyone in the country, the government will end free testing on October 11th. Unvaccinated people will still be required to provide negative tests to engage in indoor activities. Germany is also changing the criteria it uses for tightening and loosening pandemic measures. Merkel recently said that hospitalization will become the key indicator of how critical the situation is for the country's health system, instead of the incidence rate. She warned, however, that the country's vaccination rate is not high enough yet. And Health Minister Jan Spahn is calling for booster shots for all Germans, a move many German medical experts and insurance companies oppose. Whether or not to vaccinate all German school children against COVID-19 is also sparking debate. But the country's Standing Vaccination Commission, or CITCO, did issue a recommendation earlier this month that children aged 12 or older should receive the shots. That was senior producer Dina El-Sayed. So who should be getting inoculated against COVID-19 and how often? And what will happen to people who keep refusing to get vaccinated? Helping answer those questions and more in our new Berlin studio is Alena Birks, who chairs the German Ethics Council. She's also a professor of ethics and medicine and health technologies at the Technical University of Munich. Welcome, Alena. Hi, good to be here. On the line with us are Corinna Hennig, science editor and co-host of public broadcaster NDR's weekly podcast, The Coronavirus Update, and New York Times health and science writer Arpurva Mandavelli. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Yeah, nice to be here. Let's start with a look at what the current state of the pandemic is on both sides of the Atlantic. And Apoorva, we'll start with you in the United States. Is the Delta variant surge subsiding? Not yet. Um, it's actually ramping up in most of the country. Numbers keep going up, hospitalizations keep going up, and we're not really seeing a big decrease yet anyway. And actually, um, as we go into the fall, into September, we're going to have back to school, back to office. So it's not really clear when these numbers might really come down. Corinna, even with the escalating cases, it seems that Delta isn't as much of a problem in Germany and certainly not in intensive care units like we're seeing in the U.S. Is that providing a false sense of security to Germans, you think? 
Well, maybe because we don't know it yet. There's a lot of school vacations still in Germany and I think uh, things might change. But we still have to keep in mind it's a, it's, it's a situation that's different from the US right now. And we have to be aware, I think, that's what, or what we can do now. Alina, the German government and scientists have said over and over again that vaccines are the only way to end this pandemic or at least get it under control. So is it time to stop accommodating anti-vaxxers and doubters and mandate COVID-19 vaccines? Why or why not? Well, we've said that an obligation to get vaccinated, a legal mandate for everybody is something that would be very hard to uh, defend from an ethical point of view because the risks are so very diverse and that would be the very last option and everything else would have to be um, done first. We've also said something similar about certain um, professions. So France, as you know, has just uh, established um, vaccine mandates for healthcare workers, for example. But I think what's really important to note is that we are currently in, in a bit of an in-between phase. It's only been six to eight weeks in Germany, at least. That's very different from the US, that everybody could get vaccinated at any time. We had scarcity for a very long period of time. And in particular, younger people who weren't on any priority lists just didn't have a chance to get the vaccine. So I think we do have to allow for that. We do have to have some more time where we really try to persuade people, really make it very easy, take away all the barriers to vaccination, maybe have a few incentives, you know, the famous bratwurst that uh, people now get when they go have a vaccine. Bring the vaccine to where people really are. And only once we've done that for a while, we can say now it's really become an individual choice and no longer something that depends on scarcity or on barriers. And I think that's the time when your question really obtains, which is what do we do then with those people who don't just find it a little difficult to get the jab, but who actually really say, I will not do this. And we're not there yet. Well, you mentioned Bratwurst. And in the U.S., of course, uh, there were even millions of dollars being offered in lotteries for people who are willing to give the jab. Apoorba, what about a vaccine mandate in the States uh, where you have a lot more availability of vaccines and they've been around a lot longer? As Alina mentioned, it's, it's a little more recent here. But it's not even just the vaccines. It's the whole issue of the coronavirus that's deeply divided the United States. Yeah, I think it's a little bit different in the United States because, as you said, we have a lot more stock. We've had efforts for a very long time now to reach these populations that may not be able to get it for some practical reason. And there are still some percentage of people who just have not had access, who have just not been able to uh, get the vaccine, you know, not been able to get themselves to a place where they can get the vaccine. But uh, I would say that um, there overall, though, we have too many people who have already made up their mind to not get the vaccine. There will not be a federal mandate because uh, the government just can't mandate these kinds of things in the United States. There would be a lot of resistance and a lot of rebellion against that. But what they have done now is that now that um, the FDA has approved the Pfizer vaccine fully, that frees all kinds of private companies and universities and schools and businesses to mandate vaccines for their employees or to, or to say that people can't come in unless they are fully vaccinated. And so I think that um, will make a big difference and there will be smaller mandates across the country. 
Uh, Colina, there's obviously an election coming up here in Germany um, in a few weeks' time, and I'm wondering if a, a vaccine mandate is something that's popular with candidates or politicians currently in government, uh, or do you see that as not being so popular? I think it might not be very popular to pronounce it like this because <laughs> there's a big discussion about mandates in Germany and people um, keep refraining from the open discussion about it. But especially, for example, in Hamburg, where I'm based, we now have the 2G. So there's an option for restaurants and for concerts to move over to 2G, which means only vaccinated people and only uh, people who had been infected can entry. But it's only an option. So I think it's still a little difficult, the situation, because um, we have the election. But I think about vaccination, there's still a lack of access to information because I hear a lot of rumor about side effects of vaccinations that really don't exist, where there's no ground for it, like infertility um, by vaccination. And so I think we should do more effort to get to people who hadn't had access to information. So far. Alena, let me ask you, I know that you're the ethics chair here in Germany, but are there countries you think that doctors and, and politicians seem to try to follow here in Germany that they think they're doing the job better or that provide a role model, if you will, for Germany? That's a really difficult question because the situations are so different. So I think that um, not in terms of vaccination, but in terms of the uh, strategy against the virus, I think we've looked to the Scandinavian countries quite a bit because they've been quite successful. Um, but then again, they have different situations. And regarding vaccines, Israel was an early example. And that actually shows this early success can even have some unintended implications because um, the vaccine protection seems to be waning in elderly populations. Um, so they've seen quite the surge now. Also in, in hospitalization, luckily, the really severe cases are still very low numbers, but they have seen a big surge. Um, so apparently, um, that's something that we can learn from Israel. What we didn't learn and um, where they were exemplary initially was how fast and how successfully um, they implemented their vaccination strategy. Just like the US, they had a lot of stuff early on. So that was very different. But they also did it really well. It was really well organized. Well, it's a much smaller country. So the populations are significantly different. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. The other uh, country in that respect, and again, that's just the issue of vaccination, is probably the UK. There's been a lot of debate about the UK strategy against the virus overall, but certainly their vaccination effort particularly in the first months, was impressive. And they did a very good job to organize this, again, in a very effective way. And I think that was something that many Germans and many German politicians certainly looked at and thought, damn it, why is this not going as well um, as in other countries? Apoorva, you want to say something to what Elena said? Yeah, I think I, I second um, Elena's assessment that the UK and Israel have done very well. But of the two, I, I think that the UK has done a fantastic job of vaccinating by age, which really targets the highest risk people. And that's one of the reasons that even when their cases have gone through the roof, they've seen pretty low hospitalization numbers. 
in Israel, they have done a pretty good job of covering most of the population, but uh, it, it's still, the, the numbers are still not as high as they could be. They've still only reached, you know, 60 to 70% of their population. So there's still plenty of room to go. And I think that's very important when we look at these countries, you know, it's great to see the two thirds sort of numbers, but it's that remaining one third or 40% or whatever's left. Those are the people that are ending up in the hospital. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about vaccines, including whether children should be getting them. Stay tuned to Common Ground. Democracy. I'm Rachel Tausenfreund, one of the hosts of the German Marshall Fund's podcast, Out of Order. Join our conversations with leaders and experts on what the dark side of tech does to democracy, how the pandemic shapes geopolitics, and other topics of global order and disorder. You can find our episodes and miniseries at gmfus.org or wherever you find your podcasts. We are the German Marshall Fund of the United States, strengthening transatlantic cooperation since 1972. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, the host of Common Ground. And I'm Dina El Sayed, the senior producer. Each week, we bring you a new lively discussion on a hard hitting topic. If you want to learn more about our podcast, check out our website at commongroundberlin.com. The episodes are free to download, but they aren't free to create. Common Ground depends on grants as well as donations from listeners like you. So if you want to help us out, please click on the donate button at commongroundberlin.com. And thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Maurice Frank, editor of the Berliner Zeitung English Edition, which is a proud partner of Common Ground. Is it hard for you to figure out what's going on in Berlin because everything you read or hear is in German? We at Berliner Zeitung English Edition can help, providing you with all the news you can use in English, whether on politics, business, or culture. We also offer riveting interviews and commentary. Look for us at berliner-zeitung.de slash en or just type in Berliner Zeitung English Edition into your search engine. I look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to Common Ground. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and I'm joined by German Ethics Council Chair Alena Birks, NDR's The Coronavirus Update co-host Corinna Hennig, and New York Times health and science writer Apurva Mandevili. We are discussing the COVID-19 pandemic and how to end it, which most government leaders and medical experts agree is through vaccinations. Yet even in Germany and the United States, where there are plenty of vaccines available, a sizable minority isn't convinced. In Germany, less than two-thirds of adults, as we've mentioned, are vaccinated, and in the United States, a little over half of the population ages 12 and up are vaccinated. Apoorva, why is this such a hard sell in the United States? I mean, as we mentioned earlier, like, you have million-dollar lotteries uh, going around, and people are still reluctant to get the jab. The vaccination is just one part of the pandemic's um, whole trajectory in the United States, which is that it's become very political wearing a mask, getting a vaccine, all of those things have come to mean part of your political identity. And we've seen that um, many men who vote Republican, for example, uh, don't take COVID seriously, don't want to wear masks and don't want to get vaccinated. And that is also true of certain Republican states where we have governors who have banned mask mandates or said that they don't really support vaccination. And I think that 
has become a really hard problem to target. And from the beginning, we've also seen a ton of misinformation. Um, Corinna was talking earlier about these, you know, these myths that people have about fertility and things like that. And some of those have become very entrenched. So people have dug in their heels and decided that this is a hill they're willing to die on. They will not get vaccinated. Do you think the recent FDA approval of the Pfizer vaccine is going to help convince more people? I think it will. In polls, a lot of people have said that they have safety concerns because it's still considered an emergency use. And if it were really so safe, the FDA would approve it. So hopefully that will convince some number of people. But I'm not sure how big that contingent is likely to be. Um, But I definitely think that having businesses put in mandates in response to this, this approval, that that frees companies to put in mandates, I think that will make a bigger difference. Corinna, it's been more difficult in Germany to get booster shots going, even to AstraZeneca recipients like myself who have less protection against the Delta variant. What accounts for that? We're very good at hesitating in Germany. (laughs) I can't explain it differently, but um, I think we still have to keep in mind the global perspective. So this is not, um, it's not important for everyone to get a booster. This might be quite consensus in science, only for the vulnerable people, for the older ones. And as you, if you have in mind that the vaccination campaign in Germany at the beginning of the year was quite slow, maybe we still have time. And we had quite a big gap between the first and the second dose, which is different, for example, compared to Israel, which might be an explanation for the waning of the antibodies in Israel. So the situation in Germany is still quite comfortable. Of course, I, as a person, for example, I'm looking forward to uh, having my parents like 80 years old for a booster shot. But this must not be now. It can be towards autumn and winter and only for a small percentage of people. It's not important for me, for example. I think I can get in touch with the virus at some time and then I might be lucky to just um, have a very mild uh, COVID-19 disease because this is my third contact with uh, with the spike protein. So. so, Elena, you were nodding while she was answering. You agree? I absolutely agree. I really want to underline pretty much everything that Corinna just said. It's also important um, that we consider that we're still in a global situation. So I think, as Corinna said, there's a big consensus that the vulnerable groups should receive a booster at some point. And depending on how the uh, strategy went before, that might be after six months or nine months. So this is a consensus. But giving booster shots now to middle-aged people where it's very unclear if that will do anything for the immunity while we have regions of the world where below 2% of the population have received their shots, I think that's just deeply wrong. And even if one doesn't sort of subscribe to a certain global solidarity argument, even out of sort of self-interest, this should be something that um, we should really not uh, do with any priority. What we should do is try and get as much vaccine as possible to these regions, because if they have high um, community transmission, obviously what we all are afraid of, the variant that can evade the current vaccines might emerge. And that's something that really nobody wants. And so I think there's an urgent need to get the vaccines that we don't use immediately to other countries. And I'm actually quite happy that we've started that process, at least, 
it's nowhere near what we need, but at least Germany has started to send doses um, to other countries that need them most. And I think, as Corinna just said, next spring we can take stock again. We'll have studies that will tell us about immunity in um, healthier and younger people, and we will have a lot more vaccine again around the world. Um, but for now, I think this is something for vulnerable people, and we should really give our surplus stocks to other regions of the world. Apoorva, what about in the United States? Is the booster shot rollout more popular there than, let's say, the initial shots were some months back? Well, it depends on whom you ask, right? It's very popular with the people who got the vaccine the first time around and are very excited to have a booster shot, even if they probably don't need it. It's not at all popular with most scientists who have noticed that all of the waning of immunity is really against infection. It's not against hospitalization. The vaccines are still excellent at that. And so the idea that we would give boosters to the entire population, while, as Elena pointed out, that most of the world has not yet received even one dose, that doesn't seem right to most scientists. So there's a, a big divide there. And then, you know, there are the people who've been holding out to the vaccine entirely. I think some of them are getting the message that if you need a third dose, maybe this vaccine isn't very good. And that, of course, is the absolute worst message they could be getting right now, is that this vaccine is not effective. So it's really created a sort of wide variety of reactions and the boosters will be rolled out starting September 20th. And it'll be really interesting to see how that goes once it begins. Well, let me follow up with you and ask about uh, the final group of questions here or the final topic of, of question, and that deals with vaccinating children. Um, that seems to be more accepted in the U.S. than what we've seen happening here. Again, I will ask our other guests in a moment whether that has to do with availability versus uh, ethics or, or questions about the vaccine for children. But are children being vaccinated uh, more readily than reluctant adults, or are they also not being not receiving the vaccine. And what is the current status? I mean, is it supposed to be 12 and up or under or what's the situation? Right. In the U.S., um, anybody who's 12 and up can get vaccinated. And we're still waiting for results from the clinical trials and authorization of the um, doses for younger children. Among parents, again, there's there's a pretty sharp divide between parents who are desperate for vaccines for their younger kids and people who say that this is unethical because the risk to children are already so small. Some of that calculus has obviously changed now with Delta, which is putting more kids into hospitals and does seem more um, dangerous to them than previous versions of the virus were. But the risk benefit calculation is still a little bit different for kids than for adults. And I think the FDA is partly waiting to see what happens with myocarditis, for example, or other sort of side effects that may become a bigger problem in kids simply because they react more strongly to vaccines. So we're not quite at the point where we would have to make those decisions yet because they're not available for younger kids yet. But I think the onus really on those vaccines will be to show that the benefit far outweighs the risks. What about or let's talk about Germany and I'll go to Alena first. I mean, vaccinating kids for school is common. It's something that's happening. And yet there seems to be some reluctance about vaccinating children with COVID vaccines. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So as Apoorva just said, it's about balancing risks and benefits. And that is different in children than it is in adults. And it actually used to be even more different. So when we had the wild type variation, the first sort of type of virus, when we had alpha, the former British variant, children really had very low risks of severe causes of the illness. Whether they could get long COVID was 
contentious and to some degree still is. I think Delta is changing that picture a little because the transmissibility is so high that we also can't say it's unlikely that children will get it. So there are two things at play. One is that it's very transmissible and the, the chance of, of encountering it is very high in children. And the second is that it might be worse. I, I can't pronounce on that. That's not my department. But certainly the overall risk-benefit assessment has therefore changed. And in Germany, we now have a full general recommendation by our, may I say, very strict um, federal um, vaccination authority, um, the Standing uh, Vaccination Committee, um, who've looked actually at the US data uh, of 9 million teenagers, so 9 million um, children and young people between the age of 12 and 17, and said it's overwhelming evidence that in particular under these new conditions, when we're facing a big wave, it's shaping up that way, that everybody should have access. And we've had a restricted recommendation before, which was taken up quite a bit, actually. So a quarter of that population had been vaccinated already before um, our vaccination committee sort of broadened out the recommendation. But now it's really shot up. So the vaccination activity we're seeing currently in Germany is driven quite a bit by um, young people because parents are just very relieved that they can offer this protection, particularly to their teenagers whom we know have most contacts and are just a very active group. And I think everybody's relieved that at least for this group, we can also ensure that schools can have, that there will be another level of protection for school children, which will make everybody's life easier. So I think that was a really good decision. Last sentence, I'm still sort of, not necessarily disappointed, but waiting, if you will, on um, the opportunity for children under 12. And that is something that every family will have to decide for themselves. Again, the risks for that age group are a little lower than in the older one. But I know of very many parents who would sort of embrace this. And so um, this has taken quite a while. And unfortunately, it will still take a while before we see a vaccine for that group. Uh, Corinna, what about the political will for vaccinating children? What are you seeing with that? And uh, we'll make that the final question of the day. I think there's a great will to vaccinate children, but uh, not only for good motives, because uh, politicians haven't done enough at schools to prevent infections at schools. And uh, of course, it's important keeping the election in mind that uh, to to have safe schools to don't not to send uh, children in quarantine so of course they were pushing towards vaccination but anyway we now have the the general recommendation and this makes it much more easier for parents to decide i think because we can be very grateful for the data we have from the US because they are always two steps further than us. So we could look at this data very comfortable from this situation. And I'm, I'm really grateful for it. 
But again, we still should keep in mind what happens to the people who are underprivileged socioeconomically because they have a greater risk, the, the families, the whole families have a greater risk of uh, getting infected and of um, getting very sick. And we have to keep in mind that these children also are important because when you look at the regions and you see infection rates, of course, it goes up in schools with underprivileged people. And so again, them, there is the most important now is to provide information even about vaccination of children at least older than 12. Great insights today. I'd like to thank my guests, German Ethics Council Chair Alena Böcks, NDR's The Coronavirus Update co-host Corinna Hennig, and New York Times health and science writer Apoorva Mandavili. Thanks, ladies, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Common Ground. Our senior producer is Dina El Sayed. Our Arthur F. Burns fellow is Stephanie Wolf, and our social media editor is Manuel Sierra Alonso. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Common Ground is made possible through a grant administered by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Energy. Thank you also to our partner, the German Marshall Fund of the United States. And a sad farewell and heartfelt thanks to our partner, Berliner Zeitung English Edition, which ends its run tomorrow. All Common Ground episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts. If you are on Apple, we'd love for you to write a review on Common Ground. You could also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. And be sure to check out our website, commongroundberlin.com.